In this episode of Studying Sacred Scripture, we look at the second tradition, Hadith 61, which is the second Hadith on the Book of Watchfulness, from Riyadh al-Salihin by Imam al-Nawawi, rahmatullah alayhi. The main theme of this particular saying of the Prophet ﷺ was repelling evil with goodness. The tradition is relatively short, and I hope we all learn a big lesson from this short tradition. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين حمدا مباركا حمدا ما أخلوده والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين وبعد A very warm welcome to all of you to our study circle. This time we have named it Studying Sacred Scripture together. We are reading from arguably one of the most prominent and best collections of our beloved Prophet Muhammad's sayings, the book called Riyadh al-Salihin. And indeed it's truly and really like the Garden of Righteousness, as the title suggests. What you find in this beautiful garden is flowers of all sorts, for all walks of life, answers to any dilemma, any problems, any questions that you may face in your life. And all emanating coming from the beautiful and deep wisdom from our Prophet Muhammad's deep ocean, endless ocean. It's like sea without shore. And it is like that. Sometimes we come across a very succinct, very short saying, one sentence long, but it suffices us as a reminder for the whole week. If not, we take that same advice or saying of our beloved Prophet Muhammad for the rest of our lives once we learnt it. But if we don't commit and give our time, spare from our time, to study our sacred knowledge, our sacred tradition, how are we going to benefit from all this wisdom which is there? These are jewels, precious jewels that we need, just like we need some money and fuel in our cars and other things that we need for our daily lives. You also need the guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and from His beloved Prophet and Messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam who happened to be the final, the last Prophet of Allah but we understand the best of them all and the best of all mankind. So, who would we like to hear from? Allah's direct speech, Kalamullah, Al-Qadim, Allah's ancient old speech, the Holy Quran, of course. We read it and we sometimes feel as if the Quran was revealed not so long ago, fairly recently. And the speech is directed to us. Whereas the vast majority of the Quran, when we read it, it's a direction at the Prophet It was directed at him and revealed unto him But through his application of that divine speech, we can learn immensely. 
And most of that is of course beautifully explained, expressed and said in the very words of our Prophet as well. And we call that hadith. And really and truly, the speech of Allah Azza wa Jal, Almighty, without the Prophet wouldn't mean anything to us. Because we needed that medium that human effect in the communication between us and our Lord Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that came in the most beautiful way through the Prophet so whatever he alayhi salatu wasalam said or did or approved we should be eager to find out about it we should be eager to learn it and if possible memorize some of that wisdom and then surely apply it in our daily lives, in everyday life. Whatever you do, and I'm sure each and every one of us have multiple tasks and multiple roles that we play in our lives. This book, the Holy Quran, and the beautiful sayings of the Prophet ﷺ will help you so much along the way. You need to understand that and listen. Riyadh al-Salihin, as we said, is arguably one of the best compilations or collections of the prophetic sayings our beloved prophet muhammad's sayings stories statements sentences but sometimes tacit approval since imam nawawi put this magnificent work together i really struggled to look at any other book which is more acclaimed and blessed and used more by muslims throughout the centuries than this very work, honestly. In my humble opinion, every Muslim household need, needs to possess one of these copies. Okay, this is a commentary, but at least the, the actual copy of Riyadh al-Salihin, you should all have. And many of my uh, former students asked me, and Musalli people, I really want to find out more about the Prophet's life and his sayings, which book should I read? I used to say to them, the bare minimum I want you to cover. From cover to cover, properly read, nicely, and use it as a very important, you know, reference work for you, okay? Especially Riyadh Salihin, since it has been divided into uh, chapters according to subject headings. So you can just look, oh, I need more patience, something is happening to me as a calamity, a trial. Just go to that chapter. You can read it in 20 minutes. You will learn a lot. So I used to say to them, the bare minimum that you should make sure you have read before you leave this world. And you don't even know when, you, when that is going to happen. When you're going to die. Read Riyadh Salihin at least. Those few thousands of hadith. Don't regret never hearing some of those beautiful Jews, sayings of the Prophet and departing this world. So, alhamdulillah, we covered already some of this book uh, in the last year or so. Now we are on chapter 5. It's called Babul Muraqaba. It's the chapter on watchfulness. This term Muraqaba has two, I would say, broad meanings to it, but both of them are very deep if we think about it. Watchfulness, in what sense? The Quran itself says, for example, in Surah Al-Shu'ara, أَسْتَعِذُ بِاللَّهِ قَالَ تَعَالَى وَيَأَلَّذِي يَرَاكَ حِينَ تَقُومُ 
Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, It is He, Allah, who sees you, O Muhammad, when you stand up alone at night, tahajjud prayer. And all your movements among those who fall in sujood. So the time of seeing somebody, vision, is used here. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees us. He's watching over us. And then the ayah from Surah Al-Hadid, it's even more striking. And he, Allah, is with you wherever you may be. Well, this is like a little bit deeper notion and the ulama term this as ma'iyatullah. We can also say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best of the exact meaning of this ma'iyah, witness in English. But most of them will say it's Allah's knowledge. Allah is aware, has the knowledge, the actual knowledge of your whereabouts. Wherever you are, whatever you do, Allah is aware of it. In that sense. But it could mean even a different meaning, a deeper meaning we don't understand. We can't reach it because our intellect is limited. Not because it's difficult or impossible for Allah to do something, to be with us wherever we may be. But we can't understand and cannot compare, of course, anything or anyone with our Lord, with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the first term is used. And the Quran, of course, mentions many other terms which imply this notion of watchfulness, observation, surveillance, as if they are cameras directed at us and watching us at all times. And they are indeed. And subhanallah, whenever I used to read these ayat in the Quran which mention this like Allah is watching you. He knows what you are doing. Or be conscious. Remember, Allah is seeing you. Or any of those hadith where the Prophet would say that Allah knows of your whereabouts and of your doings. I said, well, in our modern times it's pretty much easy to understand that. Because any one of us can install a CCTV camera in the house and there are people in the world nowadays not everybody is doing it for the good reason mainly for fame and whatever people do it they are recording their entire life every movement recently we had one scholar from Iraq who came let's say even among Muslims forget about the West and the extremely brutally rich people who are recording everything and on several angles and things like that but there are even Muslim scholars that I know of nowadays who have entourage, a group of people who follow them, cameramen, yeah? And they are recording every move they do. Absolutely, they are recording them, especially when they are addressing an audience. It's all recorded and filmed and so on and so forth. So, of course, all of that could be played back. You can review it. And every minute, literally every minute of it could be seen and heard and witnessed for or against. So for us, subhanAllah, nowadays it's much easier to understand this notion, this concept. You could be seen by somebody's eyes who is right now in Dubai, or in India, or Sana'a, or Riyadh, or Istanbul, right here on WhatsApp, free of charge. And you talk to them with half a second delay or something like that. And if you put that on in your house, in your privacy, 
and he was still the call was on they didn't end it and he wanted to do something which he didn't want people to see especially the people you spoke to earlier on they will see it if they're still looking at it and if they were recording it if they didn't see it when they revisited the footage they could basically see what you're doing so we can to some degree nowadays with this modern technology understand that of course all of that makes sense that one day we will stand before Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and our life movies will be shown in front of us so the notion really is the notion of muraqada, watchfulness so the first aspect of it is our knowledge conscious or awareness that Allah knows what we are up to in fact he is watching over us literally right now he can see this gathering and our beautiful masjid and every other masjid and everything else that is going on in the entire creation of Allah let's not rationalize it anymore just remember that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you cannot hide anything from him he is at all times aware of all of your actions even your innermost thoughts only Allah and no one else and nothing else I don't think so technology will advance that much <laughs> that everybody's data can be put in one place and then later on reviewed not like that I remember being questioned at a particular, at a particular border for a whole day and I said, okay, fine, you have so many people who can question me and ask me who I am and everything. But I'm sure you can't do this for every single person at all times because you're not going to have enough offices. And you're not going to have enough time to review everybody's laptop and computer and go into everybody's photos and footages and everything so that they can actually see everything that we do in every day and night. It's impossible for us. Allah can do that with ease. That's the first notion. Know and remember that Allah is watching over you. Therefore, before you say something or do something, think twice. What you're going to say or do, is it going to please our Lord? Is it going to please your Allah, our Allah, or not? If it is not, maybe you could decide not to say it or do it. Later on you won't regret it. But if you didn't think of these things, many a time we say things and then we would want to hit our own head on the wall. That's how much we regret it. And not to say of actions we did and so on and so forth. So please remember that. It's a very important notion. We can go on and on and on about it alone. But I'll end on this uh, little story or saying. We know from our rich Islamic tradition that this particular awareness, this particular notion of muraqaba, or the knowledge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is watching over us, has to be instilled in our children's minds from the earliest age possible. And the earlier you do that and tell your child, Allah is watching over you, remember Allah is with you and watching over you, their awareness of Allah will become like nothing that you can imagine of. So we know that and it has been testified and used by many people and the lucky are those who are trained in this way and it stays with them and most of them, you know, they do really well spiritually. And the second notion of al-muraqaba is you watching over your own self. 
So you don't need uh, police cameras or councils, city council CCTVs operation, or even don't think of the divine camera in whatever way it operates and works. You are your own person in your own right. So before you say something, you yourself think, you can account yourself by yourself. For you do something, before you say something, is it backbiting or not? You know, like lots of scholars say, oh, we always find some kind of excuse to backbite someone or slander someone. It's always some kind of excuse. Oh yeah, it's my colleague or this or a very close family member or oh, it's a, you know, marriage matching and this and that. And we go on and on and we give ourselves like hundreds of excuses. Whereas in reality, there is really no excuse to backbite someone or to slander someone or to lie or to become a lion, which leads to wise and that leads to a grave punishment in the next life. So this second notion of muraqabah is also important and it can take you your lifetime to master it. So you, yourself, using your own ears, your faculties, basically, you watch over yourself, control yourself. And we know the greats, all the prophets, of course, did it, alayhi salatu wasalam, uh, but even the Sahaba, we know they were ex extremely, really well trained in this because of the Prophet So they would burn themselves, punish themselves, torture themselves when they watched over themselves and caught themselves, so to say, in doing something that they know would not please Allah So they don't repeat it. Because if there is no consequence at all, unfortunately, we are humans, yeah? And our ego is is a constant enemy of ours and will never give up until we die. <clears throat> if we do not give some kind of consequences to ourselves by ourselves for doing wrong, saying wrong things, or doing wrong things, the problem is that the wrong saying or lying or doing wrong action can become pleasing to our ego. We might start liking it and then you will lose the other kind of senses which are extremely fundamental, critical in our correct and pure faith. That's how it works. So it's all in a way linked and I want you to remember both of these notions. The first one you can also call taqwa in most general sense, awareness of Allah. Being conscious of Allah means knowing that Allah is seeing over you, watching you, even though you cannot see him and understand how he is watching over you. And the second one is down to your own self. You can monitor your own self, censor your own self, and then when you caught yourself in something you didn't necessarily like and you surely know it is either unlawful or not pleasing to Allah, then give yourself some kind of consequence, punishment. And inshallah you'll get rid of those bad things and your own devices will become sharper. sharper. Uh, we read the first hadith from this uh, chapter, which is uh, Hadith Jibril, the very long hadith, which talks about three aspects of our religion, you can say, or faith, Islam, Iman, and Ihsan. I'm not going to read this one because I already read it and explained it. I think you'll be able to listen to it if you want to on our website later on. But tonight I wanted to read Hadith 61 from Riyadh Salihin, which is the second hadith in this chapter. Very short, and we will try to analyze it uh, and, and deduce some lessons from it. 
As I always do, I'll read it in Arabic first so that you can sense what it sounded like when it was said by the beautiful tongue of our beloved Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And then obviously we'll read the meaning uh, so we know what it means. عن أبي ذر جندب ابن جنادة وأبي عبد الرحمن معاذ بن جبل رضي الله عنهما عن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال قال اتق الله حيث كنت حيث ما كنت وأتبع سيئة الحسنة تمحها وخالق الناس بخلق حسن رواه ترمذي وقال حديث حسن so very short saying, Abu Dhar, so two companions narrated this hadith to us. Abu Dhar al-Ghaffari radiallahu anhu and Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiallahu anhu reported that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Fear Allah wherever you are and do good deeds after doing bad ones. The former will wipe out the latter and behave decently towards people. Tirmidhi uh, recorded this hadith in his respective Work. Now the language of this hadith, it's a very short hadith. Um, I really don't see any difficult terms that I need to explain, but you can obviously spot yourselves. Ittaqillah. So the, the, the notion of taqwa, as I told, is the most the broadest meaning of this muraqaba or watchfulness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what does that mean in language? Ittaqillah. There are all kinds of definitions and explanations. Uh, but I can narrow it down to one thing, really. What it means, in all sense, kunt, fear Allah, wherever you are, wherever you may be, means, wherever you are, don't forget to do your religious obligations. And don't also forget, make sure you stay away from prohibitions. That's what the bottom really line is of taqwa. So if you do that, you are already on the good way, on the good track to, to becoming aware that Allah is watching over you. Because only people, the Quran testifies to this, only people who are certain they have reached the level of yaqeen, isn't it? That's why the Prophet said the best thing you can ask Allah in your du'as is ask for yaqeen, means certainty in your faith, belief. And after that, afiyah, you know, the overall well-being in every sense, is because only the people who have reached this level, degree of certainty, certainty, they know for sure there is Allah, and once they die, there's a life after death. For them, fulfilling religious duties and obligations is not a burden. Because they know, if they miss any of the five daily prayers, they'll be accountable for it. So when they reach that degree of certainty, they fulfill all of their religious duties and obligations, whether it's fardain, individual obligation, communal, wajib, uh, highly recommended action, which is on the verge of wujub, whatever it may be, they do it. And they don't fail in fulfilling their religious duties and obligations. Likewise, they make sure they stay away from prohibitions, whatever degree of prohibition it is. Involves yourself, another person, somebody's property, asset, was it just intellectual property, whatever it may be, you make sure you stay away from it. That's the bottom line, the crux of taqwa. And this is what this phrase here means. In other words, you can't say, oh, I'm in a very particular, unique situation, context, where? At my workplace, therefore prayers are not due on me. 
<laughs> doesn't apply, can't be like that. You can't say, oh, you know, I'm traveling abroad. What? On a flight. Uh, Dubai uh, Airlines? Oh, I can do whatever I like. If they offer me a glass of wine, I'm going to have it because I'm, I'm having so much burden. I'm traveling. I'm exempt from prohibitions. And I can watch anything I like because I'm so bored because my flight from London to Dhaka is too long. And from London to Kuala Lumpur is even longer. Right? So you can't say that. In that context, you are exempt and you have some kind of you know, leeways and you can pick and choose and do as you like and wish. Which basically means whatever your ego is feeling like, telling you to do on that time. The taqwa is at all times, in all situations. That's what it means, really. means in all situations have taqwa. There are certain permissions that we are all granted by Allah's wisdom and mercy and compassion that we don't have to do certain obligations at certain times. Like a sick person will not fast. He's exempt due to their sickness, for example. Like this. That is different. But if you don't have exemptions, yeah, excuses which are valid according to our Islamic law, Sharia, then the norm is that you do your religious duties punctually, continuously, for your entire lifetime, and you stay away from prohibitions likewise. Don't decide on yourself. Maybe this is not a prohibition, according to my understanding. Check with the scholar, and then if the scholar says it's not, you might do it. But if the scholar says, I'm afraid it is prohibited or strongly disliked, and if you do, do it now and then keep doing it, it will turn into a haram. Stay away from it. That's it. That's what it means. So this is the first part of the hadith. And then the second one is a really amazing principle. I think I'll call this session after it. And this term has been also explained here in, in Arabic. Okay, I think it's quite clear in Arabic, but it's good they have given us some more explanation in Arabic language. So in the translation is pretty straightforward. You can translate this in many different ways in English as well. Uh, do good deed after committing a bad deed, committing a sin. Uh, follow, you can say, a sin by a good deed. It will also be a good, accurate translation. Uh, so this notion of repelling evil with good is so important. It's actually the Quran which mentions it mentions this. The Quran mentions this. So how do you repel? Make sure you, you know your sinful act is deleted, gone you, you've gone over it and it doesn't have such a bad consequence of you anymore by following it by a good deed. That's how you need to, to remember this is like a golden rule I have to say. So repel evil with good, with goodness. And all of us, to be very honest with you, we all fall in sins. We commit sins. And the Quran, in a way, suggests to that, like, we are feeble, weak. خُلِقَ الْإِنسَانُ ضَعِيفًا خُلِقَ الْإِنسَانُ مِنْ عَجَلٍ عَجُولًا 
Haluwa, all those terms, you know, tell us in a way. Qanud, all Yahus, all these terms in a way suggest that we will fall short or commit sins. And the hadith Qudsi is beautiful. Kullu ibn Adam like all, every sin, every son of Adam will commit some sins, will make mistakes, but the best of them are those who repent. Tomorrow maybe in the khutbah I'll say more about the notion of repentance. But here, just to summarize the golden principle, always make sure to follow anything you have done which is indecent, blameworthy, doesn't have to be necessarily a strict sin, because here it doesn't say themb and ism, it's sayyah. Something distasteful. Follow it by a good deed, al-hasana. What will happen? It will obliterate your, let's say, blameworthy action, or if it was a sin, a sinful action. That's a golden rule. Always uh, follow a bad deed with a good deed, and you will do well, inshallah ta'ala. And the last part of this hadith is not mentioned in every single narration of this hadith, but in this riwayah that Imam Tirmidhi narrated to us, the Prophet ﷺ ended his statement by saying, and behave decently towards people. So, uh, We all have no choice but to interact with other people. We don't know of any human being who survived on their own since the beginning of mankind, even Sayyidina Adam. He was there by himself for some time, but we don't know for how long. It looks like not for too long. Soon after that, Allah decided to create Hawa from him as spouse for him, for the two of them. And they fell. After they were together, they committed a mistake, okay, a sin. So basically, we understand that whether you like it or not, we all will always interact with other human beings. Because we need them. That's why we are called social beings. We socialize. We need families. You know, this notion. The Minister of Loneliness in the UK is the first country that introduced such a thing. It really scares me. Because if there are too many people out there who are all on their own, lonely means being alone, may Allah help them. I remember one of my good Arabic language teachers from Egypt, from Algeria, Rahmatullah, is a really top uh, sheikh and Arabic language expert. When I visited him uh, in Birmingham at the hospital, just before he died, a few weeks before he would die, his wife called him, I think I'll share this with you. And that was the first night, he was not like semi-intensive care, I would say. The first night, no family member will accompany him in the hospital. And his wife, I can hear her like in a way sobbing and crying. Oh, none of us can commit tonight and it looks like you're going to be all by yourself. She doesn't know I came to visit him, but anyway. Uh, so he just says to her, Anyone with whom Allah is there, and that's what we said here, wherever you are, Allah is with you. He's never alone. So I always say to people who are lonely without other human beings around them, family members or friends, May Allah help them, but Allah is most probably with them, giving them the best of company that you can ever assume, imagine. But the notion really is that we can't avoid interacting with people. And that in itself could be a huge benefit for us because we can be useful. That's why the Prophet said, the best among us are those who are most beneficial to others. 
means people that we interact with, especially family members. But then that also open, opens up doors for us to show bad traits and character, to mistreat people, ill-treat people, and that is wrong. It's not just wrong in the eyes of Allah and not ruining our relationship with Allah and just our private relationship with Allah, but it involves another human being. And that's where the complexity lies. And I'll end the session with this. Uh, another teacher of mine from Basra said, from Iraq. He said, all of our uh, interactions with Allah, whatever it is, Allah asks us to do something, an obligation or a prohibition or a recommendation or a suggestion or an inspiration, ilham, whatever it may be, everything is based on rahmatullah, on Allah's mercy. That's how it is. Personally, you and your Lord, you and your Master, you and Allah, it's all based on Allah's mercy, which means don't worry, insha'Allah ta'ala, Allah will shower you with his ample mercy and, and go over whatever you have done towards Allah subhanahu ta'ala, whatever you came short. Unlike that are our relationships or relations with human beings. And it looks like from hadith as well, animals, not going to forgive us. <laughs> We will be questioned on judgment day if we did something wrong to an animal, isn't it? And a plant, anything that has certain rights over us, that has some kind of existence or being or life. So just to talk about the humans, uh, we understand this is a maxim in Islamic law. Our relationship with other humans is based on stinginess, the opposite of mercy. We are not likely to forgive each other. We should. The Sharia encourages us to be forbearing and forgiving, to pardon people. But in our core, the way we are humans, we tend to get offended when somebody steps on our toes, hurts us, says something hurtful to us. Even though they didn't mean to hurt us or said something dubious, which could be understood as not an indirect insult to us, we sometimes tend to take the other interpretation, which is, I'm taking it personally, yes, you did mean to hurt me. And I'm not going to forgive you. On judgment day, I'm going to ask for my haq. We don't want to be those kind of people. We really don't. And that is against good manners. Yeah, khuluqun hasan, which is mentioned here, which will bring you closest to the Prophet Muhammad and other prophets, or in other words, to the best of mankind, the elite, the elite of the elite, and the highest degrees in the Jannah, in the beautiful gardens of paradise, really is to treat other people with kindness and to be forbearing and forgiving. So I pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he helps us to develop this awareness, conscious, so that we know Allah is watching over us, wherever we may be. We pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to enable us to quickly remember to repel anything evil that we have done, anything wrong, by doing a good deed straight after it or as soon as we can. And we pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to enable us to meet good people and whenever we interact with other people that we do so with good manners. ونصلي ونسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا جزاكم الله خير بارك الله فيكم On Saturday evening we will continue with our uh, study of sacred 
scripture inshallah assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah